0: And all of God's people said hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, team. You know, social scientists, a group to whom I used to belong, agree that loss of hope is a devastating condition. In fact, we are seeing so much of it all around the world there is such loss of hope, hopelessness. We hear it from every corner of the globe, not just in the United States. And I have to testify that there is nothing worse than feeling hopelessness. It darkens one's world. It deprives one of the clarity of thought. It steals all joy and hope for living on the other hand hope is very dynamic of life hope is the very engine of optimism hope is the very door that leads from darkness to light from impossible to possible, from fear to faith, from cowardice to courage, from giving up to perseverance. Hope is the essential ingredient of the life of the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Apostle Paul tells the Ephesians, he said, Before you came to Christ, you were without hope. But no one who has placed a faith in Jesus Christ should live without hope, in that hopeless condition. Have you ever been in that situation? Where have you experienced loss of hope? Have you ever looked at your circumstances and said that, that, that concluded that there's no way out of this? There's no way out. There is no hope left. There is no possibility of a breakthrough. I'm talking about the time when you've lost all hope and resigned yourself to the inevitable dark future. Some of you know what I'm talking about. When you have surrendered to the state of constant worry and anxiety and hopelessness. If you have been there, some of you might be there now, this very moment, whether you're here in this beautiful sanctuary or the millions of people are watching around the world live right now. I have absolutely wonderful news for you. I have great news for you. I have the best news in the whole world. Your sense of hopelessness is premature. Your sense of hopelessness is groundless. Your sense of hopelessness is a mirage. You need to overcome it. And in case you think, what does he know, I can tell you that back in the 60s, I was in a situation that probably very few people ever faced. And it was several events that came in succession, literally, that put me in a state of total despair, a state of hopelessness, a state of giving up hope for living. Darkness surrounded me. Fear covered me like a blanket. Anxiety sapped life out of me. But then God, the risen Jesus, supernaturally intervened, It was seconds between me and death. God supernaturally pulled the clouds like a curtain and the sunshine of His mercy and of His grace and of His supernatural power began to work again. And here I am alive to tell you about it. And I mean, it's not only the sun, the S-U-N, that has become clear when the clouds gone, but the sun, the S-O-N, came and melted all the gloom away that was certain, was certain death. And if you've ever been there, you will understand what I'm talking about, experientially. And here I am, 50-plus years later. Praise God. I am so thankful to the Lord today that He permitted that in my life at that time. I am so grateful every single day that I went through that at that time because here I am 50-plus years since those dark days that I have the joy of testifying to the supernatural power of the resurrected Jesus to millions of people around the world. Amen. Amen. And beloved… Those members of the church who are here know that I will keep proclaiming this great news of the power of the resurrected Jesus until I close my eyes in death. But even then, after I die, I think my voice will be, testimony will keep on piercing the airwaves until Jesus comes back. (laughs) I'm insured of that. It's in the bylaws. (laughs) Whatever hopelessness you are going through right now god can say that with me god can can I say it again god can. he can turn it into hope in the gospel that was read to us this morning mark chapter 16 this was the condition of those three women who came and showed up on that early sunday morning at the tomb of jesus that is exactly what their conditions On that Sunday morning, the first Resurrection Sunday, hear me right, please. Just put yourself in their place because you cannot comprehend this until you do. They have watched and saw with their physical eyes Jesus to be crucified on that instrument of torture we call the cross. They saw his body brought down from that bloody cross. They saw men wrap him and bury him in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, and then they had to stay away. Everybody went home because it was Sabbath, so they had to stay home on the Sabbath day. Orthodox Jews did nothing on the Sabbath. They stayed home. But there, as they spent their Sabbath all alone, they went to their own tomb of hopelessness. They were in their own tomb of inner darkness. They were in their own tomb of deep, deep, deep loss, in their own tomb of sorrow and grief and resignation. (laughs) Listen, I want to remind you of something that is of vital importance, You have to understand, these women were just not any women. They were women who have supported the ministry of Jesus. They were women who were followers of Jesus. Uh, They were family members. Uh, These women were called by God to serve His anointed Messiah, the Messiah for whom Thousands of years of prophesying, and the prophets in the Old Testament said, He's coming, He's coming, He's coming. Now they have the privilege of serving Him. These women had an unwavering commitment to Jesus Christ and to the Messiah. These women stood with Jesus and His mother Mary through thick and thin. Oh, but now, now… They stood at the foot of the cross with the only male disciple out of the twelve, young John. He was the only male disciple who did not cut and run, but he stood there with him at the cross. They stood at the foot of the cross. They saw their dreams bled to death. They saw their hope being crucified, they saw the, 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 they resigned themselves uh, to their colossal loss. And, and so on that day after the Sabbath rest, they came to the tomb on a Sunday morning, early Sunday morning, but they came depressed. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> they were depressed. They were having a sense of hopelessness. These women were married the mother of James, and Mary Magdalene, whom the Lord delivered her from demon possession. And then there was Salome. Salome. She had two of her boys, the sons of Zebedee, were two of the twelve disciples of Jesus. Now, now Salome was the leader of this group of women, say, Michael, how do you know that? Because in the Hebrew language, whichever name comes last is the leader of the pack. If you say Zach and TJ and then Michael, you don't have to say that Michael was the lead pastor. (laughs) They're all pastors. But that's in Hebrew language, not not in our language. But that's that's how it was. That's how we know she's the leader of the pack. On the third day, on Sunday morning after the Sabbath rest, they made plans. Oh, but their plans were based on hopelessness. <laughs> they brought spices. This is a very important custom among all Jews, not just for Jesus, all Jews. If the, the burial is on Friday, they wait till Sabbath day, then they go on the third day. If it's not on a Friday, then no Sabbath, they'll go the next day. And so they were bringing these spices, this Jewish custom of bringing spices for a dead body, and to pour it on that dead body, because they didn't bury in boxes like we do now. They, they, they both put that, uh, the, these spices on the body uh, so that it mitigate the odor of a decaying body. Oh, beloved, they did not realize or they have forgotten that the Bible 1,000 years before Christ says, my son will never see decay. Amen. Psalm 16, God said, my son will die for you, but wouldn't. body will never see decay. But to their credit, listen, I love to give credit where credit is due. I really do. To their credit, these women did not, cut and run like the rest of the disciples, and stayed away. Uh, To their credit, these women, uh, they all, of course, they all went home because of the Sabbath, but they did not stay home like the rest of the disciples, unlike Thomas, who went home, shut the door, got into bed, pulled the bed covers, and said, I'm ready to die, (laughs) depressed. They were at least doing something. Doing something better than doing nothing. They were doing something to face their grief. They were doing something to face their pain. They were doing something to face their loss. They were doing something to deal with their sense of hopelessness. I want to tell you. I think we know from the scripture about Mary Magdalene, and, but let me tell you one thing about the leader, Salome. Something you may have missed. It's in the scripture. But you may have missed it. In Matthew chapter 20, uh, you know, those who work with me know I'm a very brief person. I'm just kind of headline person. You know, I don't need too much details. (laughs) I'm not very good at it. Uh, Mark was like that. If you read Mark's gospel, man, he's just the headlines. I identify with him. Thank God for Matthew and Luke. They went in and filled the details. (laughs) And so in Matthew chapter 20, uh, the Bible tells us about the leader, Salome. She was a go getter. Now we all love a go getter. She was a go getter. She was, as I told you, the mother of two of the 12 disciples who call the, they called the sons of Zebedee. Himirat, right, please. Here's the only way I can describe it to you in modern language Salome was the ultimate soccer mom. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I know those watching around the world, only America we call it soccer, the rest of the world call it football. (laughs) The consummate soccer mom. I was at a game last Saturday, not this last Saturday before last, and I'm telling you, I was surrounded by soccer moms. And I loved it. I was grinning from ear to ear because I knew I was gonna preach on. (laughs) I mean they are really amazing. Let me tell you about Salome. As I said, like all wonderful soccer moms, like all great moms who would stand on the sideline of the ballpark and and, and yells at her boys, (laughs) you're the best players in the world. Uh, Some of you might be asking, well, Michael, how do you know this? How do you know that she's the ultimate soccer? I'm going to show it to you from the Scripture. One time, she went up to Jesus. You know, one thing about go-getters, they always appoint themselves advisors to God. (laughs) They really do. You know what I'm talking about. I know some of those. They really want to help God out. Now, from this moment on, this is a Yusuf translation. This is not literally in the Scripture. This is just my translation. Uh, Because I don't want you to go back and say, where was that? Uh, I'm just going to tell you. It's like a friend of mine used to say, I don't exaggerate. I just blow it up so you can see it. That's what I do. (laughs) So I'm just blowing it up for you to see it. She came up to Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, I want you to know my boys are the best in the bunch. (laughs) You know, my two boys, they are terrific. Let me tell you about my boys. They will always have your back, Jesus. My two boys, they're the kind of boys that you can depend on. My two boys should be your number one pick in the draft. My two boys, being the great leaders that they are, they should rule with you in the kingdom. You should have one on the right hand and one on the left. They should be your vice presidents. (laughs) I mean, they need… Jesus needs them. See, all great moms, all great moms, all great moms, always looking out for their kids. There's nothing wrong with that. Like all great moms, uh, she had great hopes and aspirations and dreams for her boys. Like all great moms… She wanted her boys to be in position of influence. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, But listen, all of that, all of those dreams, all of those hopes were shattered on Good Friday. She became discouraged, despondent, and depressed. She was filled like the other two Marys with hopelessness. She felt that her plan has come to naught. She felt that her ambitions for her sons to reign and rule with Christ in His kingdom have been buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And so, in the sense of resignation, she comes with the two Marys, trying to do the best in dealing with a bad situation. With the two Marys, she was doing all she could. She copes, all three of them were trying to cope with hopelessness. And verse 3 in Mark 16, as the women were coming into the tomb, they got near and near to the tomb of Jesus. And they were talking to each other. They were comforting each other. Beloved, let me tell you something. When you're going through a difficult time, I'm talking to the men now, okay, because I know men. I know women are great at this, but they, they handle that much better than we do. Don't clam up when you're in trouble. Talk to somebody. <laughs> Talk. Talk it over. It helps. So in their hopelessness, they began to discuss The biggest obstacle that they know they're going to be facing when they get to that tomb, as they get closer and closer to the tomb, they begin to think of the the, the biggest obstacles, the biggest problem when they get to the tomb— Who is going to roll away the stone? This is a huge stone that a dozen men literally needed in order to push it and put it on the mat because Caiaphas, you remember, insisted on it. He said to to Pontius Pilate, he he, he said he was going to rise, so make sure you have the largest stone that you can find and seal it, and he did. Who's going to move the stone? Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Please don't miss this. By now... They are moving from hopelessness to helplessness. Isn't that amazing? Huge stone. Now let me ask you this. Have you ever been there? You are there now? Have you ever been in a situation? I have. When things are coming at you in a succession, and every time you think that you're seeing a light at the end of the tunnel, but it turns out to be a train and you lose hope." And so, they said, who is going to move the stone? I mean, you, you understand what I'm talking about. Let me ask you, I, I want to be, on, be honest with yourself because I don't want you to answer me. What keeps you up at night? What keeps you up at night? What causes you anxiety and fear and worry? What deep disappointment are you living with? What are you trying to tranquilize day in and day out? These three women had a plan to deal with their hopelessness. These three women had to face to the, up to the shattered dreams. These three women were doing their best in a bad situation. But as they got to the tomb, with their utter amazement. No, 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 amazement is a weak word. To, to, to sh- the shock, absolute shock. The, there is no word to describe it. It was, it. it was devastating. And you see the stones already been, run, been, put, been rolled away, and the tomb is empty. Christ had risen bodily, physically from the dead. You know, I used to be in one of those dead churches. We the Jesus risen in our hearts. I was talking to somebody in the gym yesterday, working out, and and I know he goes to one of those churches, and I said, Christ is risen. Is it in our hearts. I said, he's risen indeed. He has risen physically. He has risen bodily. He got up out of the grave, and he walked the earth again. Nothing short of that makes a person to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, they realized that God's plan is far greater, far, far greater than theirs, that God's plan was far superior to theirs, that God's plan was far more wonderful than they could ever imagine, that God's plan was all along for His Son's body not to decay in the tomb. I often share this with the congregation here, and some of you might hear it for the first time. You know, I always share quirkiness. You know, I know you won't, you won't confess your own quirkiness. I always profess. I'm standing here, so I, I've got to admit to my own quirkiness. You know, you, 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 do you know that you have some quirkiness? But I used to have a lot of them when I was younger, particularly. I, and, and I had one of those fertile minds, kind of imagine, imagination. And, and, and I was a young Christian. was young in age, young Christian. And it, it used to bother me. It really did. It used to bother me that Christ, who coexisted with the Father before all worlds, the Bible said, through whom and for whom all of creation was created, all of things came into being. Through Him, He owns the universe, and yet He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Now, I don't know when you're young where these things bothered you, but it used to bother me until our old evangelist in the Middle East said to me, he said, Michael, don't let that bother you. He was not going to be there for very long. He's only going to spend the weekend. <laughs> and that made my day. <laughs> in fact, made the rest of my life. He's only going to be there until he defeats death. He was only going to be there until he conquers the grave. He was only going to be there until he is victorious over our greatest enemy, death. From from the beginning, before the creation of the world, before the creation of the universe, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, we believe in one God, triune God. It was decided within the triune head, within the Godhead, that God the Son would die on a cross for the sins of everyone who would believe in Him, that God the Son would pay the penalty for the sinner's who confess that they are sinners and they need his salvation and they need his forgiveness? That he will pay for every repentant believer. That God the Son will bear his on his perfect body, on his sinless body, the sin and the guilt and the imperfection of everyone who would believe in him. That God the Son would shed his own blood, so that whosoever availed themselves on that to that blood would have would be seen as righteous in the eyes of God the Father. That God the Son would die as a substitute for the eternal death of everyone who believes in Him. That God the Son would die for our redemption and then on the third day to rise again so that He can assure every believer in Jesus Christ of their own resurrection. <clears throat> My precious friends, Please listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you. And this is something. Some may accuse me of being my hobby horse, but it comes out of a grieving heart, a broken heart. When I see every statistics, and it's getting worse, That even people who claim to be Christians believe that there are many ways to God. It just breaks my heart. A few years ago it was 40%, now it's 60%. That all religions lead to the same God. That all religions lead to heaven. All religions lead to the same place. No and a million no's. And the question I would ask them, and I'm going to ask you, did Buddha rise from the dead? No. Is Muhammad's tomb empty? No. Did Krishna walk out of the grave? No. But listen to me. I like to be fair. I really like to be fair that to the credit of these men, the founders of all these religions, to their credit, they never, 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 it's the ignorance of people that they don't know what they said. But they never claimed to be God. They never claimed to be the only way to the Father. They never claimed to be the only way to heaven. They never claimed it. It's their followers who came in and deified them. Jesus made the claim that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And in the vernacular, without him, baby, you've had it. You've had it. You can only come to God the Father and be assured of heaven through God the Son. Jesus claimed to be the only way of salvation, the only way to heaven, the only way to eternal life, the only way to God the Father. And then he got out of the grave on the third day to prove it. Anybody can claim anything, right? I mean, anybody can claim anything. I remember years ago in one of those churches where, you know, the pastor was having children talk and had the children up front, and, 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 and he said to the kids, uh, he took his jacket off, and he said, that's Superman inside. He said, I'm Superman. Little kid said to him, he said, fly. Let me see it. I was sitting there in the front, I'm telling you, I want to hug that kid. (laughs) But listen to me, listen. The reason why Jesus rose from the dead on the third day, so that everyone everywhere in the world may know that He is the only one who guarantees our resurrection, that He's the only one who can save us eternally, that He's the only one who can deliver you from the hopelessness of hell for eternity. He's the only one who can forgive all of your sins, past, present, and future. He's the only one who can deliver you from life's hopelessness, He's the only one who can give you peace and joy in this life and forever with Him in eternity. He's the only one who can give you hope in the midst of hopeless situations. He's the only one who can conquer your greatest and the most powerful enemy, death. He's the only one who can deliver you from the chains of addictions. He's the only one who can give you purpose in life. Amen. Praise God. Give Him glory. Give Him glory. Give Him glory. Give Him glory. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. What a privileged people we are. What a privileged people. We take it for granted. And so, on this Resurrection Sunday, I want to remind you Listen to me very carefully, please. This is not going to be a long sermon, so be careful. Listen, listen carefully. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm really getting very close. Not there yet, but getting close. <laughs> I want to tell you on this resurrection morning <laughs> that there is no large stone in your life that He cannot remove. There is no tomb that threatens to bury you that He cannot empty. There is no mountain of shame and guilt and sin that He cannot destroy. There is no pain and sorrow that He cannot replace with His comfort and solace. There is no death that He cannot conquer. And yet, one of the saddest things to me, personally, that after 2,000 years of the most scrutinized evidence of the resurrection. Evidence? We, oui. the testimony of a 17 year old, is what makes us believe that Mount Vesuvius erupted. <laughs> oh, A teenager. We have 500 eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. We have hundreds of thousands of people who said, kill me, burn me, do whatever you want, because I know my Jesus is living. Today, today, those who refuse to believe in the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus One day, we'll have to face Him as judge. The evidence of the resurrection of Jesus is far greater than all the other events in history. I remember even back then, I know some of you are young, but you remember back in the 60s, there was some group of offbeat theologians who came up with this cockamamie idea and said, God is dead. Remember that? Some of you do. (laughs) That movement is dead, and Jesus continued to raise believers into eternal life with Him. And here in Mark chapter 16, verses 4 and 5, it tells us that the women looked up, and they saw the stone, huge stone, rolled away. Can I get personal with you? I know to some of you who know the Lord, love the Lord, just be encouraged. But to those of you who may not, I want to get personal with every one of you. I, I, I want to speak to you. I know I'm speaking to possibly tens of millions of people live on Kingdom Set right now around the world, in the Middle East and North Africa and Europe, all over the world and Australia. I'm speaking to you. I want to get personal with you. You might be living behind a huge stone of guilt and despair. Some of you are living behind a huge stone of pain and hopelessness. Some of you are behind, living behind a large stone of meaninglessness in life. Some of you are living behind a huge stone of crushing anxiety about your future or your family's future. I can tell you on the authority of God's Word and the testimony of millions of people around the world that the resurrected Jesus can remove all stones of impossibilities in your life. The resurrected Jesus can shatter the prisons of worry and anxiety. The resurrected Jesus alone can remove your sin and guilt and pain. The Bible said he removes them as far as the east from the west. All you need to do is come to the end of yourself. Yeah, a lot of people always pray how Satan, Satan, Satan. They say, No, my, my biggest problem is myself, my old flesh. Come to the end of this. Come to the end of trying to save yourself. Come to the end of trying to earn God's mercy. Try, come to the end of thinking that you can do enough good things in order to outweigh your bad things. Let me tell you, you can do good things for 10,000 lifetimes. You can never get to heaven based on these, only on the blood of Jesus Christ who's risen today. I know to some people in modern day in the West, the word repentance is almost a dirty word, but I love it. It's a beautiful word. I did not only repent back on the 4th of March, 1964, I repent every single day. I repent every single day. Repentance is a lifestyle for me. The word repentance is not just feeling remorse about the wrong things you've done. No, 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 no. It's a lot more than that. Repent means that you confess to God what God already knows. Confess and allow His supernatural power to help you get off into the next exit and go in the opposite direction. You know this congregation? No. My family? No. I have a terrible sense of direction. I really do. And one of the terrible things sometimes I do, I know I'm going the wrong way. I can say, Oh, at the next exit and the next exit. No, no, no. Get off at the first exit and turn around and come back. That's a repentance. That's what repentance means. (laughs) Repentance means asking the resurrected Jesus to come into your life and clean out and clean up all of the dead corpse of sin and guilt and grief and pain and all the past junk. And he will clean it and raise you with him. In Christ. Someone will say, well, Michael, how can God love me so unconditionally? I don't feel I deserve it. Join the club. If you ever feel you deserve it, you can't be saved. How can he love me so unconditionally that he gives his own perfect sinless son to die for me and my sins? How can Jesus, God's Son, love me so much that he did go to a cross for me? I I can't comprehend that. I understand. Let me ask you this how can you explain human love? I'm talking about selfless, unselfish love. How do you explain that? You can't. But I can tell you that the resurrected Jesus is the source of all genuine, inexplicable love that you ever see in the world. Remember this. It was your sin and mine that took Him to the cross. It was His love, Jesus' love, that kept Him on that cross until He died. It was the Father's love that raised Him up again on the third day. Praise God. So, would you respond to His inexplicable love today? Will you respond? Will you respond? There can be no doubt whatsoever about the resurrection of Jesus. Any honest historian would tell you that. And that is why His resurrection demands a verdict. It demands a verdict from every human being on the face of the earth. The Bible said that the time of ignorance God has overlooked, but now He commands everyone, everywhere to repent, for He has appointed a day in which He will judge the world by this man, Jesus, and as a proof, He raised Him from the dead. No one, No one on the face of the earth. That's why we take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We take it to China. We take it to uh, India. We take it to the Middle East. We take it everywhere in the world because every human being on the face of this earth will face God's judgment. And so the choice, my beloved friends, is that you can accept Him today as your Redeemer, your Savior, your friend, You'll forgive of all your sins or risk facing him on that dreadful day as your judge. The choice is yours. We don't force people to believe in Jesus. Jesus never forced anyone to believe in him. Ignoring his invitation is equal to rejecting that invitation. Don't put it off. Someone put it this way. You may ignore the resurrected Jesus. Uh, you may nail His truth of His resurrection to the tree. Uh, you may wrap His truth in a grave cloth. You may even bury it in a tomb. Ah, but that truth of the resurrected Jesus is going to come screaming to life every time. Has been. The world has gone. Ups and downs and dark ages and reformation and all the 2,000 years, the resurrected Jesus continues to lift up His hands of invitation. Come, come, come. The price is paid. The work is done. Come and receive. Come and accept Him as your Savior today. Allow the hope of the resurrection to fill you with all hope. In fact, this church exists to help people come to know Jesus. We're not a cult. We don't insist on people coming, be part of the church. No, 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 no. We've been 32 years. We've just only introducing people to Jesus. That's all we long for. I tell people all the time, they ask me, they say, at the age of 70, what's your dream? I said, I have one dream. I want to take as many people to heaven with me as I can. Whatever years or days or months, whatever He gives me, that is the goal of life, and that's the goal of this church. And that is why, if you have a question, you still say, well, I really have a, some doubts. I, I'm not sure about this, or I'm not sure about the other thing. That's okay. This is a place to bring all your doubts and your fears. And that is why we have this special opportunity for you. If you get the, 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 the bulletin that you received when you came in, and if there's a perforated section… Just tear this, fill it out, put it out there in the welcome table as you came in, and leave it there, and we'll be in touch with you. Or you can go online and register. This is a few hours on next Saturday, uh, examining Christianity. Questions, doubts, whatever you're going through, whatever you need, we're going to be answering the best way we know how. And all the answers come from the Word of God. We don't have the answers. Jesus does. Amen? Will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, the resurrection is enough. And the resurrection of Jesus on the third day is our only hope. And so I pray for every single person at the sound of my voice, if they've never come, availed themselves to this incredible forgiveness and eternal life with You, believing in Jesus, repenting of their sins, they'll do that today. Lord, I pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Before we sing, I want to just tell you a few things. <laughs> there will be pastors standing down here with me. And if you have any questions, you want to really, don't want to leave the room before getting some answers, we will be here. But also we have this Lord's table. And this Lord's table is for every believer who place their full hope and trust and salvation in Jesus Christ. If you haven't yet made that decision, wait, stay, sing with us, but don't participate. Because I will hear from the word of God that said if you do without understanding, you're really gaining more judgment on yourself. But this is not for this church, doesn't belong to the denomination, don't belong to the denomination, it belongs to Jesus. This is Jesus' table every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of your church background, welcome. And we also have gluten-free wafers. We have uh, uh, non-alcoholic uh, uh, grape juice. So you come in here. We, we don't want to turn anybody off, we, so we provide these opportunities for anyone who want to come. You're going to find that opportunities. These ministers of communion will be standing here and come and participate. Those of you who are members will... You, you, you know you know the, you know the the drill, but for those of you who are visiting, we welcome you in Jesus' name. Would you stand and bless the name of the Lord with us as we sing together? Thank you Robin. God bless you. God bless.